welcome to Disney Animation Minute Essentials, where we are going through Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs one minute at a time. I'm Andrew Dorowski. And I'm Kestra Dorowski. And today, unfortunately for the last time this week, we are joined by George from Mogwai Minute. I thought oh, you were going to so say, sad. unfortunately, we're joined you know, that, by... <laughs> I think that's a, that's a problem for all the movies by minutes. We keep making that mistake, because I've heard it happen on Lord of the Rings Minute 2, where one of them say, we are joined by... We are joined unfortunately and someone's like what it's like for the last time it's unfortunate that it's the last time no no wait oh oh um it's it's a friday problem happy friday yes uh but we're glad you came back george we've been having a good time today we are discussing minute 55 of snow white and seven dwarfs which begins with doc taking snow white's hand and helping her get to the dance floor and it ends with uh Dopey climbing on top of Sneezy, plotting a sort of Little Rascals trench coat to to get into the movies kind of deal. I th- uh, this, this might be my favorite minute of the movie so far. It's just like a lot of fun. It's all of the music we've been enjoying for the second half of this week, uh, plus probably some of the best animation that they do in the entire film with Great the dancing. Music. Yeah, the good dancing and the good music. Yes. So for Snow White's dancing, yes, let's. I, I'm excited to hear about this because when you watch this dancing, it's just phenomenal. Especially in my mind, the way they are able to mix the very like the very real movements of Snow White with the very unreal and cartoony movements of the dwarfs. Like the dwarfs are extremely cartoony, and Snow White is very much based on you know real action, real figure. And there's no reason why it should work to put them together. Like, Doc has a hand with three fingers and a thumb. And he takes Snow White's hand, which has four fingers and a thumb. And it doesn't, like, completely... It doesn't completely ruin my experience. Yes. And I don't know how they did that. I think it's just one of those things you just suspend belief, you know. And, and you let it happen. numbers of fingers can do it. And he does a really good job of keeping her hand, and then everyone passes it around. But they're very dexterous. For I mean, dwarves are like that. You know, they can carve, they mine. They're very good with their hands, and yeah, you know. Um, in this scene, yes. Well, the the page um, that we're on in the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs: The Creation of a Classic, mm-hmm. it uh, it has six. Uh, uh, photo stats is what it's called. Oh, okay. Um, of of a much larger uh, of bunch of different photo stats and probably some filming uh, for yeah. for the for this song and for the dancing, but this one is th- these ones are specifically for next week. But it does say that there was lots of live action ref- um, for this uh, particular film or particular song. Yeah, this scene I can imagine would would have been you know very thorough and, because they had to get it right. Yes. And Marjorie Belcher, uh, who is the the model for Snow White, also sometimes known as Marjorie uh, Champion. Champion. Yeah, she uh, was in full Snow White costume, which I'm sure that helps. It yeah, definitely I think helps, it does. but I'm I'm not sure. I'm, I my grandfather has not really explained to me what my great grandmother did when she designed when the she costume. designed her costume. I don't know if it was exactly for the animation or if it was for Marjorie Champion or if it was for 
the opening premiere or, just or sketches. just sketches. I, I have no idea what she did, but she designed the dress. So this is possibly a dress that a she dress helped that, that she helped um, build. Build. Yes, that's really cool. Uh, and she she's in her dress, and then it also says that because they didn't have actual uh, references for the dwarves themselves, but they needed right. some for this scene because Snow they White's dancing with, with them. And so different studio um, members of this uh, and members of the staff were uh, there to help portray the, the dwarves and were dancing. And um, some of them were, were portrayed by Eddie Collins. Mm-hmm. And um, it also says that on one at least one occasion, Marjorie Champion dressed herself in loose, floppy clothing and impersonated... Um, what they what what is for next week, but uh, sleepy and uh, or sneezy and dopey on top of each other. So she um, she did which some they of that they have which herself. they have called dozy. They have called <laughs> sneezy and dopey together is dozy is dozy not sloppy. Nope. And, they, and so she she herself impersonated dozy. That's at interesting. One point in That's pretty cool. But I like they. And I've seen um, some of the footage of her doing, you know, these dance motions, and they do capture it amazingly her well. Her skirt moves like perfectly. Yeah, and... it, it feels very natural and real in a way that, like, I I can hardly believe they managed to do. Yes. And the weight is just right. The yeah, you know, the amount of lift she has from the floor and everything is is just right and the way she moves around the dwarfs is great and i i can only imagine how complex this whole sequence must have been yes. for them to do um with the layers of the dwarfs in the background and the foreground and all the dwarfs are, are playing instruments still or dancing um and i don't know i suspect that each dwarf was probably its own um layer probably instead of having any any um layering together yeah, um, on a single layer. sheet. So yeah. a, a so, really complex sequence. So do you have any like um, information on like, so was there like a specific animator for each dwarf? For some, so there, there was one uh, specific animator that specifically worked on grumpy um, as there were probably some that specifically worked on, on one or two dwarfs that um, in, if not throughout the whole film, at like at one at, scene. At sequences. Uh-huh. Gotcha. Um, so, so it was uh, Bill Tytla. Yes. I think was the the animator best known for for doing Grumpy. Um, he did a, a majority of of the animation on Grumpy. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were also sequences that were kind of handled by a single animator, but that may have meant that they were kind of directing the action. Gotcha. Uh, and and animating a few of the dwarfs, and then someone else was filling in the rest of it. Um, the, the other dwarfs or, or other people were doing it. So uh, there were definitely people who focused on one dwarf, but also everything was handled as a team yeah. at different times. Um, so I don't know how, how that would have worked throughout this sequence. Um, there There have been times throughout where especially with the animals, we thought the style of the animals changed a little bit. 
And we feel like that's a signal that there was a different animator or group of animators working on a different sequence. Or it could have been an earlier, like, an earlier animation sequence versus yes. an older uh, one. Yeah, they, because cause they because they had a four year production on it. Yeah, oh, wow. and um, like, uh, animated movies take a long time anyway, but yeah, that's still a long and time. Also, <laughs> there's there's one there's one part where the animals seemed a little more like the silly symphony kind of animation. Yeah, they were, a little and that rounder. part could have been one of the earlier sequences drawn uh, because they were before trying, they were before refining. They, yeah. Yeah, so it's it's hard to say at each moment, you know, who was animating what. But it feels I'd like, say it feels like this dance sequence is probably like an all hands on deck thing. Like, like, all right, let's get everybody in here today. Drink some coffee. We got to crush this thing out. We got like so many moving parts. Yeah, um, and I'm sure this was storyboarded pretty extensively before they even started doing the animation. But even if um, each dwarf was was one animator. That means seven different animators were going for this mm-hmm. one sequence, which is unusual. We don't well, very often have all of the dwarfs plus Snow White in the same shot, um, plus especially plus... especially moving around like this. And then maybe that fly comes in and out. Yeah, the fly could have been another another in this scene. Uh, I don't know. But the fly stops bugging sleepy for a second and goes to dopey yeah that's great um, <laughs> for sleepy well and before we move on from you know the the animation going into this dance sequence and everything it's also you know if each uh dwarf is their own layer of animation cell then that you know that just compounds the amount of work that goes into the sequence because mm-hmm. each cell has to be moved individually. Yep. Um, and that's after each cell for each frame was inked and painted individually um, by inkers and painters. And this is where you know we start to, to see why it took so many cells. It was uh, more than a quarter of a million, I think. Was the statistic? I wrote it down um, somewhere, but I don't know where. Yeah, that seems that seems low. <laughs> maybe it was a, like maybe it's like a quarter of a million frames. Possibly, okay. Um, and and a frame might be composed of, you know, however many layers, a background, all of the animation cells, foreground. Um, if there I like was shading, this well, the animation is like obviously it's so old school, but it's so quality because you see everything that's moving. But it still feels like it's part of the background, whereas you see like the lesser quality animations and there will be like the characters are brighter or a little less, you know, three dimensional. They're a little flatter. Yeah. And they just kind of move over the background rather than with the background. This is like almost seamless. Yeah. It still happens throughout this film that um, you see uh, a difference in an object that's going to be moved. And the Queen's layer of the book was pretty obvious on the bookshelf. But it's not it's not as obvious as um more recent animations even the, even the traditional style animations from the 90s um oh, yeah. they would get a little more relaxed about that quality and what's really impressive is how well they were able to do it in this film considering that these backgrounds are are you know watercolor that took days or weeks or months to paint mm-hmm. and then you're getting this well first to draw yeah to and draw get, and paint and it will sketch and then like draw and, and watercolor and paint and, watercolor and everything and, paint and then, and then take it's the not pictures. watercolors on the animation cells for for all the stuff that's moving 
Yeah, yeah. so they blended the styles, the, at least the mediums, together really, really well. Well, and they mixed all the paints themselves for the for the animation cells. And if you um, go to the Disney Museum, they have... They, they still have a, a wall of some of them. And so they had a lot of control over that sort of stuff. They weren't letting themselves be beholden to, you know, what they could purchase or what they could afford. Yeah, third parties. Yeah, uh, Walt was, you know, really big on doing the best quality stuff. And even the the inking for each of the cells was an extra complex issue because Walt's demand was that it be the highest quality type of inking, which means that the lines weren't a uniform thickness. The lines had to be, you know, a little thinner here, a little thicker there to add a little bit of depth to it. Yeah. So every, every one of those uh, dark lines on the outsides of the characters is, you know, carefully done in the higher quality, more difficult manner. Which I think is essential for for this film to be the success that it was. You know, if if they'd been cutting corners, pretty much anywhere. Yeah, you could tell it would have aged a lot worse. Yeah, where it still and, holds up even even was it fifty years later, more than that. Uh, 70, 70, 80 years, uh, uh, almost 70, eighty. Seventy nine, eighty this December. Yeah, and yeah, a lot of people that you know we've talked to it, and I've said myself, we just watch it, and and this is really solid animation like they are pros in a way that it hasn't really been surpassed i'd say but it's it's definitely been matched and in some cases probably surpassed i'd say um i I would say that miyazaki films studio ghibli films yeah yeah um, but again we're looking at a different culture producing this animation style which their hallmark is obsessive compulsive focusing on something so minute that it's yeah, beyond the average individual. So Miyazaki's films are obviously a, a component of that that cultural mindset. Yeah, but I think a big part of it was Walt Disney being the head yeah. of the whole mm-hmm. production. Yeah, because he, if something didn't seem right to him, he would have them go back to the the beginning. Yeah, he would make of, them redo it of whatever sequence they were doing. They he'd have them redo it or he'd scratch a scene that he thought like was a good scene but didn't but the soup scene that we talked like about the earlier soup scene but it didn't fulfill no the, the needs for the film so he he was really strict in what he wanted going into the film yeah and i uh, i've talked about it before i think he needed that to happen because he was you know double mortgaged on this this was everything if it doesn't work then walt disney you know is is done for he was all um, in. Yeah, and and it's the sort of demand and stress that you don't really see in Hollywood much anymore. Um a studio doesn't back something part way. And and a studio also doesn't mortgage their house twice yeah. to get a film made. So with a studio system like we have now, the the stress and the necessity for this extreme quality and success isn't there like it was for, for Walt making this film. This was an all or nothing. Yes. And he, and he got it. He nailed it. He, oh, yeah. he knew that he was, he was putting everything in no matter if it was going to be a total disaster or not. Yeah. And he was working so hard on making it not because he wanted to prove to himself, but also to his animators and to his family who did not, his family was not really supportive at all. I mean, I mean, they didn't they, stop him. They didn't stop him, but they—they're like, "This, you're crazy. This like, is not going to work out." Yeah, his wife and brother were 
Like, Walt, well, you do your, your books thing, are not going to uh, balance. But yeah. also to prove to his parents that that animation and this job that he has now, like, could help him in in the future and is mm-hmm. a real job. Whereas when he was growing up and drawing, he he would get in trouble by his father because his father's like that's not going to give you any money. Right, which in you know in these days was very much true and. Had it not been successful like this, probably would have been true for animation in the same way it was true for comic books for so long. Um, you know, comic books weren't profitable. Yeah. I mean, hardly ever were they profitable. And and if Walt hadn't succeeded as strongly as he did with this, animation in film could have been the exact same. You know, it might not have ever recovered. Yeah, he's an icon for a reason. Yeah, and and I'm grateful to him for it. You know, this was uh, definitely a hard call because he he really put all his eggs in this basket and and went all out, but it worked. So so I guess it's a virtue when it works. Yeah, we wouldn't have things we have today or the Disney Studio. Yeah, the Disney Studio, Disney... the Disney Parks. So so millions and millions of family vacations completely changed. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then there would be things that, like, other animation studios wouldn't have mm-hmm. progressed in in what Walt did because they they would have feared it. Yeah, we wouldn't have Maybe. Pixar. Yeah, we wouldn't have Pixar. We wouldn't have DreamWorks. Um, there wouldn't be any of the Don Bluth films either. You know, all of this stuff is, uh, like, it's a huge thing. And uh, it, it's just amazing. <laughs> what what came from this um okay i have a big note on uh dopey playing the drums in this sequence he's playing it with the with the fly kind of buzzing around him you mean doing his best buddy rich impersonation well i was gonna say that <laughs> um i mentioned earlier that uh his setup was kind of a jazz drum set yeah and the the drum set that way using the the bass drum and the snare drum in that way as far as i can tell and i'm happy about this because uh this is how i would like it to be was kind of pioneered by gene krupa who oh, yeah. uh was playing for the benny goodman orchestra at this time mm-hmm. yep and i would say this is definitely a gene krupa style drum set and a gene krupa kind of solo sequence um and so kestra i had told about I had told you about this sort of stuff before um, because I, I really like Benny Goodman um, and, and jazz music, but yeah, he, Gene Krupa was like the first real drum soloist in jazz music and, uh, and, and made this kind of drumming uh, the modern drumming, like the modern drum set is the way he made it. Uh, it's the, the drums he included in it. And, and and my favorite story about it is is Benny Goodman and his orchestra was the first uh, jazz ensemble to play at Carnegie Hall, and they were in a fancy place and they suddenly couldn't get their stuff together <laughs> until partway through one of the songs there was a a little pause and Gene Krupa knew it was going it was going to happen, and so he prepared himself and when that pause came he hit as many of his drums as many times as he could just to like spike everything up for everybody. Uh-huh. And also people were falling asleep, weren't they? Uh like it 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 was that effect. Like ever like the the band seemed tired, the audience wasn't as engaged, and then when there was this pause and Gene was able to do, 
you know, whatever crazy riff he did, he, he you know, hit everything he could. Um, it, it popped everyone up and said, no, wait, like, this is jazz. We're doing jazz. It's it swing jazz. We're, we know what we're doing. And it, it got the energy back up and it made it work. Mm-hmm. Um, which for a while, people are like, maybe jazz doesn't belong here. <laughs> <laughs> he showed them. Yeah, he, he, he saved it. And so seeing Dopey do this, you know, just smacking different stuff. In my mind, I don't know if Gene Krupa was really the first person to do it, but um, he kind of made it a thing. And that's all in the late 30s, just like when they're making uh, this movie. So I'd say Dopey's definitely doing a jazz drumming thing, which (laughs) we don't think about that being a new thing when we watch it now. Because as as you mentioned, you know, Rush, uh, you know, massive drum solos and and a huge drum set. It's a part of popular music now. But back then, drums like this were new. And jazz was new and... Yeah, but and... but it was the most popular thing. Which is one of the reasons I noted um, Doc's upright bass. Uh-huh, yeah. Which is a jazz style um, instrument. And so having, you know, someone on a keyboard, someone with that bass, and someone on the drums, it's it's a pretty jazz setup that the dwarves have. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty interesting to think about. You know, in in the context of the 30s when they would be making this. Right. That was the music. Even though the music in this sequence doesn't sound like jazz. Yes. They they just had instruments that could have been... Influenced influenced by by the jazz jazz. ensemble. Yes. Yes. And I loved it. I mean, I I like jazz a lot. (laughs) And (laughs) seeing him do that drum thing, I was like, oh, wait, that's like a... That's like a that's early to be doing that sort of drumming and, and it totally works in that context. And I'm trying to imagine, you know, being in my twenties back then and, you know, being familiar with jazz music and, and hearing jazz recordings and, and the radio and everything. And then seeing this movie and they're like, Oh, they're doing a jazz joke right there. Yeah. It's like, I but get now it, it's just, I dig it. it's different. Um, and it's so interesting, like the historical context for that to me. Um, we also get a little sequence of the animals just like swaying to the music, not all swaying together. Mm-hmm. I think like the, the rabbits and the squirrels I think, are I think in the, opposite directions. And, and it's really that the, the, cause there's almost seems to be like two of each Yeah, and they each, those two are swaying together, but like yeah. the other animals aren't swaying exactly the same as them. Although the baby deer was looking through the window when we came in through the establishing shot. So I don't know why we don't see the baby deer's head. Um, it's small. In this sequence. Yeah, that's my best guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's... So... After he does... Dopey does all this drum movement, he's like out of breath, panting. Uh-huh. And this whole thing is... It, it starts off like he's trying to hit the fly. Yes, but then he just gets into it. Yeah, because mm-hmm. the fly definitely gets out of there. Yeah, and I, I will try to remember when this episode drops to post in the Facebook group a video of Gene Krupa doing that drumming because it is phenomenal mm-hmm. the way he had control over what sounds he was making and where he was hitting. Like sometimes he'll even reach, like he'll twist his wrist behind his back and hit a drum that's you know back to his side. It's yeah. like why would you put it out of the way? But he just doesn't have space. Yeah. And, he just puts it yeah. where it needs it. He just puts it where it needs it. 
Yeah, and and that's sort of what the setup that and, Toby has, and where he knows it. Yeah, it and is, he knows where so. it'll be. Uh, but that Dopey, goodness, he's a good drummer. <laughs> he's a good drummer. Um, and then the end is is Dopey climbing onto Sneezy's head. Whose idea do you think this was? I don't think it was Sneezy's. He doesn't look. He's into the whole thing. No, but like I I find it hard to imagine Dopey being like. Like grabbing sneezes, like okay, come here. We've got this giant, giant coat. For some <laughs> reason, you just uh-huh. stand here, and I'm gonna get on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't I make a lot of sense to me. I, you know, I think get, it is Dopey's. He's just feeling the performance. Exactly, he's, getting, he's into it. getting into it. He's all like, "I just had an awesome drum solo. I beat a fly with a drumstick. Kind of. <laughs> I'm gonna jump on Sneezy's head, and let's see what happens." Yeah. He's he's in the zone. But be- before he he gets on. Uh, Sneezy. Sneezy, yes. I was about to say sleepy, and I'm like, no, I'm t- I'm going to talk about sleepy. That's Ooh. that's it. Um, the fly goes back to sleepy, and sleepy is about to like slap the fly or something, mm. and Dopey hands, hands him, him a the symbol. symbol, and and is Dopey just serving more of his drum solo? He's like, oh, I've got this. So here's my question: like, I I was wondering if either Dopey is just trying to like be, be be like, hey, I want more of my my Cause, solo because he got Snow White to kick the symbol at the yes. right time. Or if he's trying to help Bashful or, or Sleepy, Sleepy, I mean, or if he's trying to hurt Sleepy on purpose. I don't think I, he would try to I hurt. Dopey might be a little instigator. I think you know he's the, it's always the quiet ones. I I think at worst he's just saying like oh this is going to go well with my solo. <laughs> okay. Just finish this off. Okay. Um you know he's he's feeling excited. He's feeling you know he's feeling powerful right now because he's things he are going had, the way he yeah, wants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um that's my best guess. <laughs> okay. I, I I that's what I think. I think I don't I I don't think he was like purposely trying to do it but i i don't know exactly if he was like oh it's more for my drums or if it was like oh he's trying to get this fly this will help him i think maybe a little bit of that okay (laughs) but he definitely misses yes that fly gets away again yes that fly and then there's grumpy's organ like scale Uh, yeah he does a little uh it, it like it like gets stuck open and he swats it closed uh-huh. and then does a little scale up to the to and the chirp. It goes all the way up. It's, it's it's a little bit of a scale, but it's not in, entirely because it it like it goes up and then back down and up and back down. And I so maybe just in, a riff. in all my music theory um, classes, I should know what it's called, but I cannot remember what that that's called. But it's not an arpeggio. No. Okay. Um, it it's it's like a it's like a scale but not entirely um but it gets all the way up and then to, to this to, tiny to this, this this very very high note and then you it, like it's zooming in on the pipes and mm-hmm. you see all the the pipes um i guess chirping yeah <laughs> they're making their sounds and uh and it gets to the very, very high note, and it's a little bird popping out of an, an egg. egg. There's a little egg with a tiny bird. It's like, ah! It's so cute. That's the Mariah like Carey of birds. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this whole sequence is really great. I've used up all my notes on it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm good. 
All right. Well, uh, it's the last day of the week, so it's your last chance to tell everyone where to find you, George. Um, you can find me on the com or just iTunes. I mean, you can find us on Facebook. We, we have, like I said, we have a really good, like, building listener group on the Facebook, um, the Facebook, the Mogwai Minute on Facebook. It's, it's fun. But, you know, iTunes is our standby. So find us there. Listen to us talk and argue and theorize and extemporize on the intricacies of Gremlins. <laughs> Um, and Kistra just reminded me while you're saying that, uh, there's a question we always ask, what's your take on Snow White's voice? Annoying? Okay. I find it a little on the grading side, but little, is it a little high pitched little, um, yeah. All right. I think things are starting to lean that way, but I still think it should be more annoying than it is. Yeah. Is how I take it. <laughs> you know, as I watch the movie, I'm like, nah, it's not that bad. It could be worse. <laughs> yes. Could be worse. You can find us on Facebook at the Disney Animation Minute Secret Essential Listener Society, or Damsels. It's where we'll be posting uh, links and stuff and and having conversations about the the minutes we talk about. We're also online at protagonistpodcast.com slash dame. And please share us with your friends. Find your Disney friends and family members and and say, hey, listen to this next time you're driving to the park. And then uh, come back next week for more of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But until then, just whistle while you work. <laughs>